0: I'm just asking you, if, based on the numbers, more Germans died than Brits in World War II, did that mean that British, the British were wrong in World War II? Because they did. Many more Germans died than Brits. Based I on the numbers, does that mean that Britain was wrong in World War II?
1: Britain wasn't bombing civilian... civilians.
0: Civ- <laughs> you should talk to the people in Dresden, but there's you can't because they're dead. A- <laughs> now they hit Dresden, hardest of all. I believe that's what they call bass Ben Shapiro. I'm Dave Rubin. This is The Rubin Report. It's November 9th, 2023. We're live streaming on Rumble Locals and YouTube. Share, subscribe, tap that notification bell if you have not. We are doing a Rubin Report community Q&A after I hit up a couple stories involving Douglas Murray, Jordan Peterson and Thomas Sowell are giving you the big three today. Uh, But if you wanna join us for the post-game show after, you can at rubinreport.locals.com. And you might notice our set is a little more blue today. We tested something out last night during our post-debate show. It was our evening setup. There was some tequila behind me. The lighting was a little different. And people said to me, they said, Dave, the color scheme, we like it. We like the blue. Connor, can you flip the, oh my God, look at us. We have blue lights now and we'll test them out. We're just gonna see. It feels a little warmer to me, a little, a little. it's warmer and cooler, which is an interesting combination. Uh, Phoenix is telling me it looks like Ozark. It looks like a show called Ozark. I don't know exactly what that means. I know Ozark's a show. I guess it looks like Ozark. Okay, we'll take it. Uh, anyway, uh, we're diving back into the Israel stuff today because obviously uh, this issue, it's not going anywhere, Israel has a lot of work to do to clean up Gaza, uh, but I wanna focus more today on sort of the reaction of the last month, not exactly what's going on the, on the ground in Israel, although Douglas Murray is in Israel, he's on the, the Gaza border right now and doing some great reporting from there, which we'll get to in a second, but really this this absolutely insane reaction that we have seen largely on college campuses, and in our cities, not just here in the United States, in New York and Chicago and Los Angeles, violent riots often, but also of course in London and in Brussels and in Paris and all over the place. And how bizarre it is that 1,500 Jews get brutally murdered, raped, burned, all of the stuff, Uh, and the world reaction, or at least a large part of the world reaction, seems to be, oh, let's just kill some more Jews. How about another eight mil and then we'll see What's what? So we're gonna get some analysis from Douglas, from Jordan, and from Thomas Sowell, and then a community Q&A before we do it. Let's talk about, oh, you know, real quick, I should just mention, so we did our post-game show uh, last night, the debate was in Miami. My general sense, which is why we're not gonna cover it again today, it was just sort of a push for everybody. Vivek had probably the most viral moments of it, for sure when he really was uh, hitting Nikki. Specifically, DeSantis did the usual DeSantis stuff. It's all good, it's true, but no like major viral moments. Christie and Tim Scott, it's not much of anything. And Nikki, it's sort of, if you like her zingers when she goes back and forth with uh, Vivek, then you're kind of there. But again, it all relates back to Trump. And he was not there and You know, I just at the end of the day, whether you like Trump, DeSantis, Vivek, or anybody else, I do not think it is good for democracy if candidates will not debate because. What will end up happening is someone will become the Republican nominee one way or another, whether it's Trump or DeSantis or whoever, and then eventually the Democrats will just be like, well, you know, the Republicans didn't even really debate each other, and Biden will come up with a way that he doesn't have to debate Trump. Trump's got too many white supremacists, I'm not even gonna debate him. There's such a bunch of racists, those Republicans, we're not even gonna debate. And then we will have no debates. And you may think that the debates are all farcical and they're old and the machinery around them and the cable news aspect around them is is not good and it's not insightful, and you'd be right. But if we do not have any public debate about any of these issues, man, it will all just get worse. And doesn't it feel like it's kind of all designed to go that way, so we need to debate these things. Also, I'm being told that Tim Scott's girlfriend was not uh, scene on Venue, so we still don't know where she is. Anywho, let's talk about Field of Greens, and then we'll get to it. Guys, Field of Greens is the healthiest thing I do every day. I actually really love this stuff. I wouldn't wanna live without it. This is nutrition the way nature intended. Once after I, after I started taking Field of Greens, I had way more energy throughout the day. Look at my skin and my hair. Come on, it's looking good. And I just started feeling healthier overall. Field of Greens is radically different. Each organic fruit and vegetable was medically chosen to support heart, and vital organ health. And with flu season here, I trust Field of Greens to keep me healthy. I promise you're gonna love this product. But if for any reason you don't, they'll give you a 100% money back guarantee. I got you 15% off your first order and free rush shipping. Visit fieldofgreens.com, use promo code Dave. That's fieldofgreens.com, promo code Dave. And now back to me. Okay, so let's uh, dive into, again, I wanna focus more on the reaction, the sort of worldwide reaction, these protests, the calls for Palestine to be free from the river to the sea, which of course is a call for genocide, the violent protests out there. I have no problem calling them pro-Hamas protests because there are no people out there saying, oh, Hamas is bad. These people are celebrating the actions of Hamas. Okay, That is just clear and it is a fact. If you can find me videos of people at pro-Palestine rallies that are going, you know, Hamas really are bad guys. No, they're the ones that instigated and inspired all these lunatics to be out on the streets. Anyway, Douglas Murray went on Piers Morgan last night. And Piers, look, I've done his show. He's been on television forever. He has a way of taking every position all the time and also taking no positions. And Douglas is just clear, clean, and and I would say over the last month has basically been the best Voice when it comes to moral clarity on what's going on here. Take a look.
2: Difference ...isn't there? Well, there is, but I don't think that all of these protesters are right. pro-Hamas. And the difference, the difference yeah, is I, whether I or not making... you have a large artillery behind you. Yeah, but you, you. Wouldn't, you don't honestly think they're all pro-Hamas, these people? Well, I, I, I think that anyone who, for instance, chants things like from the river to the sea is is in fact yes but they're not all describe, doing that or is criminally ignorant oh well they are i mean there's masses of videos of them marching past Westminster Abbey last week saying exactly that yeah but they're not uh, all marching past Churchill I've watched the videos and there are well, lots of people okay, well, here, chanting well, and some okay, who aren't well here's a challenge okay well here's a challenge piers if you were decided to go on some kind of march mm. and in week 1 you discovered that you had the BNP along your side calling for instance for the murder of all black people would you not wonder whether or not you should go on week two would you not drop out by about week three I'd have thought so I would that's a good question uh and yes I would
0: <laughs> sorry ladies and gentlemen yes it is a good question because I get it Piers you're playing devil's advocate you want to appear to be objective or something like that but Douglas is completely right is it true that uh, well, let's say, uh, here, I'll give, I'm will give i gonna give Piers Morgan every benefit of the doubt here. Is it true that not every single person at these rallies is chanting from the river to the sea? Well, of course that is true, right? There are some people who probably don't scream it while everyone else is screaming it. But then Douglas lays out the truth. If a bunch of people that you're marching with day after day after day keep screaming, kill all those people, and you just don't scream it, are you much better than them? So Douglas just absolutely gets it, and he pins peers into having to say what obviously is true. Uh, they then ramped it up a little bit more because uh, the next step in what's going on here uh, is that the limits of liberalism are being reached, the limits of free speech if you are going to uh, allow a group of people to call for genocide, not only for citizens, you know, halfway across the world, but for your own citizens in your, in your country. Because when you call for the death of all Zionists, basically every Jew believes that the state of Israel should exist. And by the way, it's not just Jews, virtually every Christian believes that the state of Israel should just exist, and okay, all that stuff. Anyway, they got into it about uh, free speech relative to these protests.
2: We've been at the centre of allowing these people to be in our country and indeed to plot terror from our country for years. So it's always a bit rich to hear the British, I think, uh, lecturing others about being an unsound part uh, of of the international security uh, community. As for the actual marches, look, um, I'm afraid that the rules on this are very, very clear. Um, You are not allowed to glorify terror or call for terror on the streets of Britain. And that existed before the 2006 Terrorism Act banned glorification and it certainly exists now but if you stand on the streets of london calling for jihad you are calling for terror and that is actually a place where free speech is at its limit and is no longer permissible it's the same with for instance calls for intifada on the london tubes remember we had a touch of intifada on the london tubes a few years ago so again calling for intifada is something that you're not but allowed to about, do in the UK. Okay, you're but allowed this, to call let me ask for you murder. This. You're not allowed, you're not allowed to, let me finish one other case. Mm-hmm. You're not allowed uh, to stand on the streets of London and call for the murder of Jews or any other minority. No. And yet people have been getting away with this Saturday And are the police arresting people? No, right. no, they're not. The police last week said, we're outnumbered.
0: All right, again, we could have played you the full clip. It's a lot of butts and pauses from peers that he wants to appear objective. I'm not bashing peers. Again, I've been on the show. Sure, he's not a horrible human being, but this, this thing where they do this moral equivalence, do you want to live in a society, and this is what liberals are now going to have to figure out, liberals who are generally the old school liberal tradition, the ACLU allowing neo-Nazis to march in Skokie, Illinois in 1972 uh, to express their freedom of speech, and that's what th- that was the liberal position back then, but that is fundamentally different from where we are at now where hundreds of thousands of people are out on the street who have been misinformed and and the education system and the cultural attache has completely failed them so that they think up is down and good guys are bad guys and they're celebrating this medieval barbarism and all of that stuff. When they start calling for jihad, that is calling for violence. When you say river to the sea, it is calling for genocide. When you target Jewish businesses or you go to specifically places where you know Jews or Israelis are, what should a liberal society do at that point? We, that is the precarious spot that we are at right now. And last week when I was in London, having driven by a Hamas protest right by it, it was not that comfortable to be quite honest. Uh, I asked, it was I was actually on my way to the ARC forum uh, and I asked Douglas Murray, what do you do when liberalism sort of gets to the end of the road?
2: We have uh, people on our streets, jihadists and their fellow travelers, calling for the murder of Jewish people, the destruction of the Jewish state and the destruction of the British state. Well, I say in that situation, we can remain hand-wringing liberals about this and say, as some, let us say not to be too rude, centrist dads do in some of our newspapers, that we must simply wring our hands at this and say this is one of the prices we must pay to remain a liberal society and I say, screw that.
0: Okay, so Douglas is making his thoughts on this and his feelings on this very, very clear. And the UK does have laws about supporting a terrorist organization and glorifying terrorism, as he said earlier. So what do you do? The question is, if you live in London right now, if you live in Paris, if you live in Brussels or Amsterdam, they have similar laws to all of these things, right? They don't exactly have the First Amendment protections that we have here. And by the way, there are things that we can do here, such as what Ron DeSantis has done in Florida. If you offer material support, say fundraise for these Hamas organizations, we're gonna kick you out of our campuses and things of that nature. But what are these liberal societies gonna do? I suspect, unfortunately for my friend Douglas, that they are not gonna do much. I, I don't think that the people of Britain, and the people of France, and, and Holland, and Brussels, uh, Belgium, will, will do much of anything. I think they will complain about it, sort of, uh, but will they get the police out there, and will they protect their minorities? But it's not even just protecting their minorities. Will they protect the very ideals that make Britain Britain, and France France, etc.? I'm not so sure that they will. I'm not so sure that we will do it here, but we better start thinking about it, because this ain't about the Jews. When they are done with the Jews, as I keep saying, do you think they're gonna wash their hands of this whole thing? Or will their lips and their mouths be salivating, right? And going, holy cow, game on, let's do it. Uh, And the reason for that is that Jews are the canary in the coal mine. As a minority that succeeds, a good society likes that. We are veering into this place where we have made it so that if you are a minority and you succeed, the system doesn't know what to do with you. This isn't really about the Jews. This is about the ability for societies to have pluralistic views and people of all walks of life actually attain their dreams. And the Jews don't fit in that intersectional calculator, as you know. I wanna show you one more from Piers Morgan because Jordan Peterson was on. Uh, this is during the ARC conference just uh, last week. Uh, and Piers asked Jordan about the growing tide of anti-Semitism.
2: Where were you when you first heard about it? And what was your instant feeling about it? Well, my instant feeling was to be sickened by it. I'm also more sensitive to any signs of anti-Semitic catastrophe, from studying the Holocaust for the length of time that I did. And I've always regarded Jews as the canary in the coal mine. And I think the reason that the Jews are the canary in the coal mine is because they're a successful minority. You know, and if if a culture can tolerate a successful minority, It's pretty damn robust and it's not very resentful and as soon as a culture starts to get resentful the Jews make an easy target because they're a minority and so that's an easy target to begin with but then they're the minority that has the temerity to be successful. and That really brings the resentful out of the rat holes.
0: They're a minority that has the temerity to be successful. That, that is what the uh, the American dream is all about. Again, this is not about Jews. You watching this right now, you're most likely a minority in one way or another, in, even if you're white, right? Like you, came, your ancestors came here. It's not, I don't mean minority in like the most narrow view of it, but everyone watching this, your ancestors basically came here with nothing. And then they probably worked a lot harder than you have to work right now. Just really think in your own mind for yourself. Try to think about... Uh, your parents and your grandparents and your great grandparents, however many generations ago your people got here. No one gave anyone anything. Certain minorities were able to figure out how to succeed within that system, be it through uh, culture or tradition or religion or belief or any of those things. And that's what the American dream is all about. So when they go after the Jews now, the canary in the coal mine line that Jordan's using is correct. It's just, it's not going to end with them. They're the ones going, guys, there's noxious poison in this coal mine and if the canary drops dead, a whole bunch of us are gonna drop dead all along, uh, all alongside that canary. So everyone has to care about this and we have to figure out what will be those limits that Douglas is talking about, about li- with liberal societies. Will liberal societies die on the sword of free speech for everybody to the point of you can call for the death of your co-citizen. Is that really what liberalism is all about? Is that is that really the liberalism that many people have justly defended for you know for hundreds of years? Is that the liberalism of the Enlightenment? I don't know. Maybe it is if societies won't do anything in the face of all of this stuff. I wanna show you one other thing. Since we've done Douglas Murray and we've done Jordan Peterson, how about I give you the trifecta of sanity? Uh, this is a video of Thomas Sowell. This is from probably 20, 25 years ago. Uh, Thomas Sowell being asked about why anti-Semitism is so prevalent in history.
2: You have um, a chapter, that's the first chapter is uh, Black Rednecks and White Liberals. The second chapter is Are Jews Generic? Mm-hmm. Why the jump to, from Black Rednecks and White Liberals to Are Jews Generic? What's the point? Well, this
1: book is really about ethnic and cultural issues in general. So there's a chapter on the Jews, there's a chapter on the Germans, and then there's a chapter on history in general. So that, that's, uh, they're, they're lumped together because they're all cultural ethnic issues. Fascinating story, because among the, the, the middleman minorities, of which the Jews are the most prominent, uh, the hostility to these people in countries around the world is out of all proportion to that, to any other kind of group I can think of. Uh, in terms of violence, uh, the, the number of, uh, of uh, black, the number of Chinese killed, let's say, in one year, uh, and by mob action exceeds all the blacks lynched in the entire history of the United States. And the number of Armenians killed in, uh, in Turkey you know, during the First World War is greater than that. And of course, the number of Jews slaughtered on a number of occasions in history, even before the Holocaust, is greater than that. So that the question is, why this particular kind of people are the targets of so much uh, us venomous hatred. And I think the answer is that um, they, not, they not only succeed, they succeed in a way which is the threat to the egos of other people. But the guy who c- comes here, let's say from Vietnam or Korea and arrives here with little more than the clothes on his back and a few wor- broken words of broken English, uh, and a decade later he has his own little business and you see his son a few years after that getting ready to go off to Harvard or MIT. You've got to ask yourself, you either got to, you know, you, you, you've got to hate yourself for saying, my God, I've, I've been stagnating. This guy it was nothing, and now he's risen up, or you're going to have to hate him. Uh, years ago, one uh, official of one of the Jewish organizations in New York asked me, well, what can Jews themselves do uh, in order to minimize the hostility they face? And I gave him a one-word answer, fail, because as long as you succeed, you're going to be hated. I
0: personally would rather succeed and be hated than fail and be loved. And that probably is the story of the Jews. The interesting thing with Israel related to all this is you have Jews who are not only succeeding, uh, you know they're, they're struggling over this last month, obviously, but you there is a sense, I was talking to an Israeli friend last night, uh, there is a sense in the country that they are going to be stronger than ever on the other side of this, that this is ironically bringing them together. It's, it's sort of baked in the code. It's what every Jewish holiday is about. Oh, they killed a whole bunch of us Uh, They didn't kill all of us, we're still here, let's eat, and Jews still are here. That is why they particularly hate Israel because it's a place where not only Jews are succeeding, uh, but then Jews refuse to fail and they've got weapons to make sure that that doesn't happen. So again, as I keep saying, and I will keep saying, you don't have to care about the Jews. I would prefer not to have to talk about the Jews that often. I was at the debate last night where they said Jews an awful lot and I have to tell you, it's not that great, right? In a good society, right? As Jordan was talking about, in a society that is robust, uh, you wouldn't have to talk about the minorities that often because things would be basically going well and uh, for everybody. And that's really what America had, largely in the 80s, 90s, early 2000s, mid 2000s. Oh, it's only since we let wokeness burst forth, destroy our institutions, crush our culture, allow literal terrorist supporters, like Ilhan Omar and Rashida Tlaib into the Democrat party, that now this stuff is everywhere. And why is it, why is it that the mainstream media did not cover the story of the woman in Detroit who was the synagogue president who got killed uh, two weeks ago? Why is it that the mainstream media, I don't think you saw it on CNN yesterday, covered the story about the 68-year-old Jewish man who was out there at a pro-Israel rally who got hit with a bullhorn by a Hamas supporter and, uh, and he's dead now, you don't know his name, Barack Obama isn't out there talking about him, because it fits, when the Jews are the victim, it fits the narrative, you don't have to make a big deal about it. When the Jews are fighting back, ah, this is, this is the cog, uh, this is the cog that's wrecking the rest of the system. I think you got my point. Uh, let me talk to you guys about Cozy Earth and then we're gonna get to a community Q&A. Guys, if you're racking your brain trying to think of the right president the right present for someone, you'll never go wrong with gifting the most comfortable sheets, clothing, and accessories that your friends and family have ever felt. I'm talking about Cozy Earth. Cozy Earth is just the best. Their sheets are so soft and it helps me fall asleep right away. I love this stuff, actually. Uh, you want your loved ones to feel better, sleep better, and smile when they think of you, so you couldn't choose a better gift than Cozy Earth. I love their sweatpants. Uh, Cozy Earth is the softest and most comfortable sheets, blankets, towels, PJs, joggers, and more guaranteed. Cozy Earth only sources premium materials like premium biscuits from bamboo, giving The people on your list, super soft, breathable, moisture-wicking fabric, regulating body temperature and keeping them comfortable all day and all night no matter what the weather is. Whether it's their life-changing luxury pajamas, oh-so-soft bedding, loungewear or plush bath towels, you'll love shopping and gift-giving at Cozy Earth. And here's my offer to you this holiday holiday season. Go to CozyEarth.com, enter code Dave to save up to 40%. That's CozyEarth.com, code Dave, CozyEarth.com. Slash Dave, and now back to me. All right, Ruben Report community Q&A, and if you wanna get some questions in, we'll see if we can do one or two on the fly. RubenReportLocals.com. join right now. Bonnie says, I am a pro-life person, but it seems as though Republicans are losing, at least after yesterday's elections, on the single issue of abortion. Even with the economy, border, violence, and foreign policy issues, abortion seems to be winning elections for Democrats. How do Republicans fight this? Look, this one's really tough because abortion is never going to be settled, right? People have their feelings on abortion, it's not just purely a legal issue, it's a philosophical issue, it's a scientific issue, right? Sperm meets the egg, is that the beginning of life? Is heartbeat the beginning of life? when do you want the government to step in and protect that life say against the wishes of the woman who is carrying the child there there is so much here there is so much here and we're never going to get to some kind of consensus on this so when someone tells you well i have the answer i'm going to get you to consensus they just don't personally as you know i am begrudgingly pro-choice i think 12 to 15 weeks is the right number 12 weeks i mean you're basically a couple months into the pregnancy um but it should be left to the states, which is why the reversal, regardless of my personal feelings on abortion, the reversal of Roe v. Wade, kicking it back to the states so that you can live in a place that's more in line with your values on this and other issues, that was good. Your specific question though, that this seems to be a losing thing for Republicans, yeah, I, I think there's every bit of evidence that it is a losing thing for Republicans, and that's probably why Virginia just lost the House after getting a Republican governor, Yunkin, just two years ago. Um, it doesn't strike me as a winner for Republicans. I think this is gonna be, if, if it en- ends up being DeSantis as the nominee, which is obviously what I think would be the best way for America forward, uh, it's gonna be tricky for him because he went further to the right than even Trump on this. Even though Trump got the Supreme Court justices in, the conservative Supreme Court justice is in to reverse Roe v. Wade. DeSantis has now taken a position more to the right. He believes in the six-week heartbeat bill, which is what we now have here in Florida. We had 15 weeks just a year ago. Now they've changed it to six. But that doesn't seem to be the place that most of America is in. Now, it shouldn't matter what the president thinks on abortion that much because it is now a state's issue, but people put abortion. And this, I, I discussed this with Nigel Farage on his show on GBTV last night. When, when you're thinking about what your issues are, uh, right, you you put everything in a hierarchy. So your issues, I think, you should care mostly about, let's say, the border, uh, economics, things of that nature, maybe foreign policy, something like that. You have to figure out which of these things are the most important, what's the most important, and everything else. Unfortunately, many, many people have put, and particularly women of a certain age, have put abortion at the top of that thing. Regardless of your feelings of abortion, to me, it seems like abortion should be a little bit lower than, I don't know, the borders of the country, the economic policy, the foreign policy. But because so many women specifically have put abortion up there, and it doesn't seem like a winning issue for Republicans, I don't know what Republicans are supposed to do related to all of this. You can calmly explain that it's a state's rights issue. You could say, okay, instead of abortion, we'd like to open up more clinics to help women actually have children. And then you can uh, you know, put the babies up for adoption. Like there, there are things that you can do. But we know that the, the Dems have a, have a winning wedge right here and if the Dems do one thing well, and they don't, they don't do a lot of things well besides destroy things, they use their wedges wisely. Uh, Alex says, Gavin Newsom challenges you to a one-on-one game in basketball. Are you accepting it? Yes, absolutely. He's got a couple inches on me. How tall is Gavin Newsom? Can I get a, I feel like he's probably, he, he looks like he's probably like 6'2", six 6'3", six maybe. Uh, but yes, I would absolutely do it. We played at that cold open yesterday where he's in China and he grabs the basketball and just plows through that freaking kid. How tall is he? He's 6'3", so he's 6'3". I'm 5,11 and a half-ish if we round up, let's get me to six foot maybe. If I'm really if I'm really you know standing up straight with my shoulders back, we could get there. Uh, but yes, I would I would absolutely play that evil snake person in one-on-one basketball. Cat uh, says, uh, Phoenix, can you roll with me?" Cat says, so we have so we had an early Thanksgiving with my parents who were visiting from out of state. Got me thinking about what is one of your favorite favorite family memories about the holiday? Well, first off, I absolutely love Thanksgiving. I, I've, I've really come to love it as an adult. I've always loved Thanksgiving. Like it's just, it really is just about food and being around family and it's about America and decency and like You know, I love going around the table. Actually, honestly, my favorite thing, this probably sounds corny, like what we do for Thanksgiving. Uh, Thanksgiving is the, the, ho- the main holiday that we host here with all of David's family. So we have about 15 or so people around the table and just going around the table and everyone just saying what you're thankful for. Uh, And everyone does it a little bit differently and everyone's, you know, could could be health, could be family, could be the job they just got or whatever else. Um, But I think it's really important to actually like sit there for a moment. If you can only do it once a year, especially if you're in America right now, while we are in this precarious place where so much of the goodness seems like it's like hanging on by a thread to like sit there and and understand what you're really appreciative of. so I really love doing that. Uh, we do the uh, we do the smoked. Last year I did it for the first time. We've done a fried turkey a couple of times. Usually do the roast turkey, but last year for the first time I busted out my big green egg. We had a, maybe a 14 or 16 pound turkey, something like that, and I smoked that baby for probably it's been six six or eight hours. I'm not even sure. Absolutely delicious. We will post some pictures in the locals community. Uh, Larry says, Have you ever designed or built a piece of furniture? out of wood. I haven't myself, but when I saw this question right before, I had Brock take a little video of this table that's in our studio. You guys may uh, recognize that table. That table was created by uh, by an artisan in Los Angeles. That was the original table that we had in the Ruben Report Studio, that was in my garage back in LA years ago. Can we throw throw the video one more time? She did something really, really cool there because you see that clear part. So it's it's uh, obviously one slab, and then it's finished with resin. It's absolutely, I just absolutely love that table. I love live edge wood in general. We have some other things in our house like that, and that is the table that we use in here for in person interviews. Uh, so I, I'm very uh, I'm very into woodwork in general, but I haven't done much of it myself. I should be whittling wood. Let's get me whittling wood next week, all right? Uh, Mitchell says, any post-interview thoughts slash revelations on Eric Weinstein's observation for the need to do things differently, given the, given the edge of the cliff that we seem to be on? Oh, you know, that's a good question, and it's it's connected to the Douglas clips that we just showed you, because if you, if you haven't seen it yet, uh, I did these 20 interviews or so at ARC, and Eric Weinstein was one of them, it's up right now, and he brought up the same issue that Douglas is talking about there, that what, are the limits of a liberal society. You want to defend free speech. You want everyone to say what they think. You want to have protest and all of that, right? So nobody's just shredding all of that. When societies start veering towards a place where a certain set of people are using all of the freedoms against itself, to then turn on people, the good law-abiding citizens of those societies, on, on top of the fact where Europe has a worse problem with this, with all the illegals that have come in, and you just don't know who are at these rallies and all of the stuff, uh, what do you do? So that, Eric and I were talking about that. Like, how do we sort of level up society? How do we have a more honest conversation about free speech than than maybe we've had over the last couple of years? Like, what are those freaking limits? And you can be angry at me if you want, but there are some of those limits. There are reasons that you cannot call directly for violence to those people right there, say through the, even with the first amendment, right? You can't do that. You can't yell fire in a crowded theater with the intent to do harm. You can actually yell fire in a theater in a, in a comedic sense or something like that. It's with the intent to do harm. So we do have some specific lanes that, uh, that allow as much free speech as possible. But now we have people that are trying to break those lanes apart. It's sort of like if you had bumper bowling, you know, kids have bumper bowling, right? So it can't go into the gutter. We've had basic, like we've widened that lane as much as possible. And that's what you want to do in that free society. Uh, But as Jordan referenced, in a robust society, these things work, but our societies don't feel very robust right now. They feel like we don't have enough good people fighting for them. So I will continue that conversation. If you watch the whole thing with Eric, we, we only had 20 minutes there uh, because we had limited studio time, but I will continue that conversation with anyone that wants to have it. What are the mechanisms that we are going to have to use to make sure that we don't have people on the streets calling to kill other people or endlessly harassing people at their houses or places of business. Again, I would reference what DeSantis did here in Florida, changing some laws related to property rights, not speech, meaning you can't every day just show up at someone's doorstep and put a, a flyer in their mailbox that says, we hate all Muslims or we hate all Jews. It's a property rights law, not a free speech law. You wanna print those flyers and keep them around your house or give them to your neighbors who want them You go ahead. Uh, You can't go across the street, from a temple and project a digital image of a swastika on the temple. It's a property rights law, not a free speech law. I've tried to explain this to Vivek several times because even last night in the debate, he dishonestly went after DeSantis on this. But we are gonna have to figure out how to deal with some of these things because if we don't, we will just have We will end up with endless sectarian violence on the streets, right? We'll have protesters ruining the buildings and and blocking traffic of certain people, counter-protesters doing it on the other side, occasionally someone being hit in the head with the megaphone and dying, and then we'll just keep doing it again and again. We gotta figure this thing out. Salunga says, if Trump wants to seek justice for all the lawsuits or injustices that are happening with him, don't you think the best way he could achieve that is if there comes a president in 24 who can actually de-weaponize our justice system, who can actually and meaningfully fight us from becoming a third world country in where uh, in in politics you imprison your opponent for political reasons. Yeah, I think this is a great argument for DeSantis. There is no reason to believe that he will not do what he says. Trump, there is some reason to believe that. And, And again, the question is, if Trump became president, can he get the right people to work around him at this point? Would it be just like a revenge tour and a crazy media tour and all of that stuff versus could DeSantis come in and cleanly and trimly look at the swamp, and here's what we're gonna do to the agencies. And by the way, he goes into very, very minute detail on how he would do it. Could he take a guy like RFK, who he has some political differences with, and task him with taking out the CDC, or in this case, deal with what's going on at the FBI or the CIA related to the the ridiculous prosecutions of Donald Trump. Yes, I think so. So again, we will see, and I don't wanna harp on the debate last night because it doesn't move much, right? Nobody, I don't think there is one person in America, you watching this right now, do you know anyone in your family, friends, anyone who was like moved last night? Boy, you know, Nikki really did get Vivek on that. I'm voting for Nikki or just any version of that. You know, I'm suddenly, I heard it, and Chris Christie, I'm supporting him now. Nobody moves their vote on any of that. All of this is, it's important to talk about, but it's relative nonsense until polls included, until we get to that first uh, that first election in Iowa. May God help us all that we get there in the first place. Uh, TR Hoff says, so how much fun was it to take part in the postmodernist drinking song video? I'm glad you mentioned that. We're gonna play a little clip of it. So Jordan Peterson put this thing together. He wrote this postmodernist drinking song. They did this like a year ago. We shot this and he had a whole bunch of other people that you will recognize from the internet. I think we're gonna play like a 10 or 15 second clip of it right now.
2: an absolute mess. Michel Foucault was a genuine pervert and it made him awful sad. He invented philosophical doctrines designed to drive us off like mad.
0: Jordan's working hard. You know, the man's doing a lot of different stuff. Uh it was totally fun to do that. Uh, Daphne, my assistant, uh was in studio that day. She's a she was a theater chick back in the day. She gave me a little direction on the singing. So there's just a couple of little clips. Maybe maybe in some alternate universe we'll re- we'll reveal the full like 10-minute thing of me singing that thing alone. It was not really my main skill set uh, but it was totally fun the full thing on that you can find at uh, Jordan's YouTube channel I'm sure. Uh, Amy says when you moved to Miami what was the hardest thing to do find a good doctor dentist or hairstylist? That is a great question because I have to say you guys know I love Florida. I love Miami. I have no, I really have no complaints about this place. It is just so great. Freedom is flourishing. I love the weather. I love the people. I love the lizards, all of the stuff. My one it's not even a complaint. It's like under complaint. Uh, would be that finding certain service providers like doctors or or good electricians, that kind of stuff, has been a little bit tricky in Miami. It's partly because so many people are moving here that you just can't get appointments that quickly. Uh, my dentist seems to be fine. She's looking good, I think. Uh, dentist seems to be fine. My hairstylist, I have to say, my hair's looking pretty damn good these days. My hairstylist is Phoenix's fiance, but I shouldn't say her name, right? We don't want her to be uh, harassed. Uh, but if you want to know, if, you know what, if you're watching in locals and you want to know where I get my hair cut and you want to visit her in Miami, you let me know over there. I'll let you know who she is. And she's just fantastic. And uh, a regular doctor went once, uh, sort of indifferent. Uh, but yeah, that is one of the functions of success, right? Most of the, most of whatever the issues are that Florida is having, like high house prices, are functions of, success because more and more people keep coming here. Last night, driving to the, uh, to the debate, which was in Brickell, that's like the city part of Miami. That's like the city, city part of it. Um, There's a lot of traffic because a lot of people are moving here. But what's nice about it, you see them building roads. You're driving on the traffic roads and they're building roads above you. So they're doing everything they absolutely can here. And I would rather, frankly, live in a place that the, the problems are because of success, right? The problems are like, oh man, so many freaking people are coming here. There's so much new economic value here. There are so many new, and by the way, people coming and voting the right way, That's way better than when you're on the other side of things, say when you're walking around in San Francisco and you're like, oh, that store closed, that store closed. Oh, look at that crackhead. Oh, there's a dead man over there, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Jeff says, how do we improve voter eligibility verification? The public needs to be educated about the actual election ballot counting process. I think most people do not know how votes are actually counted. For instance, where i to where i to run a stack of ballots through a machine take the same stack change a few shuffle and repeat what prevents the uh, essentially same stack from being overcounted over and over yeah, yeah yeah without getting into that specific thing about the stacks election verification making sure one person one vote you have an id you walk in, as I did in Florida when I voted, you walk in, you show them your ID, they look at you on a list, they verify it's you, you vote, you then take a piece of paper, you put it in a box or in a folder or whatever it might be, and that that, that process, just just the process of doing that gives you faith that the system is working. Now that doesn't mean that there can't be other little questions or anything else, but you know, I've had uh, Cord on, who is the Secretary of State of Florida. If you haven't seen that, we did it maybe six months ago or so. And we, most of the interview, we talked about election integrity, which nobody, even the crazy people who rant and rave about Florida all day, nobody legit is questioning whether Florida is running legitimate elections or not. Like we have the tightest, cleanest elections. That is in stark, contrast to Los Angeles, where not only do you not have to have an ID, if you try to show them their ID, which I tried to do when I voted in the recall to get rid of uh, Newsom, and I was voting obviously for Larry Elder. And by default, you walk into an election uh, area, my hand just went to my wallet, like, oh, I'm supposed to show these people who I am. That's the way it always was since I've been voting at my elementary school back in whatever, the first year I could vote, around 96, something like that, 94. Um, I went to show the guy my ID, and he kind of recoiled like this. And that tells you, when they constantly tell you, when they constantly tell you, oh my God, if we have voter IDs, black people won't be allowed to vote. They won't be able to vote. Show me a black person that doesn't have an ID. You need an ID to get on a plane. Are black people on planes? Have any of you seen black people on planes? I saw snakes on a plane. You, You saw, all right. Connor saw a black guy on a plane once. Black people can get IDs, Asian people can get IDs. The only reason you would not want people to have IDs to vote is if you wanted to rig the system or you wanted questions about the system to exist so that you could eventually burn down the system and that's exactly what the Dems want. Uh, Jay says, I do have a question about Locals, Rumble and X, et cetera. I see more collaboration between the three platforms happening via Rumble. Is there a Locals app for Roku, etc., in the works. There is a Rumble app for Roku, uh, which we're trying. We're working on a lot of integration behind the scenes right now. Everything takes a little bit of time. Uh, that will include locals within that. I don't know that we're doing a standalone Roku app. I will get back to you on that. I will post something in the in the community for sure. But yes, the ecosystem around free speech online. It basically starts with Rumble, X locals and then there's obviously a couple other little things, but we are the places, believe me, there are plenty of people right now who have locals communities who do not like Dave Rubin, and that is just fine. There are plenty of people, we have several fairly big name people who are, in my estimation, anti-Israel nutbags who have locals communities and are on Rumble and everything else. I believed in building something that would allow people to say whatever they wanna say, again, within within the laws. Because if you break the laws of the United States, you have a much bigger problem than what locals is gonna do to you or what rumble is gonna do to you. So we are doing everything we can. And that would also get us back to, to what Douglas talked about before, about the limits of liberalism and what Eric and I were talking about in that chat, about how do we level up this conversation so you don't have constantly people people rigging the system. You know, one of the other things that Elon's gonna have to deal with on Twitter, because I'm seeing this more than ever now, and I've been on Twitter for a long time and spent way too much of my uh, life force on that godforsaken forsaken platform. Uh, there are more bots and trolls on there than ever. It is just completely run rampant. So we have algorithmic tricks, trying to confuse people. You know, one of the things they can do, one of the ways they can manipulate you, it's not just they can say on YouTube that, through your feed, they can manipulate what you see, right? So you search something, they can manipulate you to see, you know, you could search literally anything, right? And they can figure out ways to make you think one thing or another related to whatever it is that you searched. The other thing that they can do, and I'm seeing this more and more on Twitter right now, and people should just be aware of it, is when I post anything, I get a gajillion, and they're all anonymous accounts, they're all basically created in the last two or three months, putting all sorts of pro-Hamas propaganda up there, and they're putting Hitler pictures and blah, blah, blah. So you could, by creating it, uh, uh, the facade that all of these people are for this cause, you could make it seem like that cause is just. So there is an absolute information, a matrix-style information war going on, and you just have to you have you just have to know you have to know that it exists, and then you have to figure out what your role is going to be in that. Are you going to participate on these platforms or anything else? I really think, honestly, it's the it's the, it's the beauty of what we did with locals. I just, anyone can join for free and look at stuff, but to get in, to ask me questions here, to comment, to be part of our live chats and everything else, we ask you for a couple bucks. And through asking for a couple bucks, it cleans up almost all of it. And that's also why now that we're doing this live call-in show, which we're doing every day from 1 1 p.m. on Mondays through Thursdays, it's like I'm choosing people out of there because you can basically eliminate all the trolls and the bots and the bad actors. So a little skin in the game goes a long way. Kevin says, what's your go to seasoning for brisket or pecana? Pecana, you know, I am digging some pecana lately. Have you done the pecana over yet? Once. You're doing the pecana once. So, pecana is an interesting cut of meat because you're getting basically, it, it sort of looks like brisket, but then you get this very thick fat cap on top. So, what you do with the pecana is you put it in the fridge for a while, so the fat is kind of. It's not so gelatinous. It's kind of like a little bit thicker. Then you score it. So like little X's across. Uh, my seasoning go-to, I am a firm believer that on almost everything, just good salt and pepper is pretty much all you need. But if you score that thing right, so then the fat will start dripping, actually dripping into it as you cook. And there's always a debate with pecana, do you cook it fat side up or fat side down? I believe in fat side up because then the fat actually is kind of coalescing around the meat while you're, I, I like to smoke them, but you can, you can bake it or you can roast it, whatever. But coarse salt and pepper is the secret to Dave Rubin's steak. And Adam Carolla is one of many people who said that the best steak he ever had in his entire life was a Wagyu Tomahawk that Dave Rubin made back in LA. Just saying. Uh, but yeah, coarse that thing, salt and pepper. You could do a little bit, of, a little. you could do some onion powder, some garlic powder. Uh, sometimes I'll do some paprika, things like that. But I think if you have a good cut of meat, salt and pepper is all you need. Mary says, my thoughts on the ability of Facebook to monitor and censor, almost in real time, political slash conservative posts, videos, et cetera, contrasted with their failure to stop live streams and uploads of murder to victim profiles. Uh, I think Mark Zuckerberg will have a lot to answer for. I I might've read that in a a little bit of an odd way, but basically, yes, we know that conservatives are being uh, censored, hunted down on these platforms. And then we know, I mean, think about Twist, there's so many stories, and they're still coming out right now, how twisted everything that happened on uh, October 7th was. But then these people, these Hamas terrorists, they literally took the phones of the victims and they live streamed their murders and rapes and burning bodies and, and all of the horrors. They live streamed it to Facebook. They live streamed it to WhatsApp. They posted images in Telegram so that the family members would see these things. Um, Man, these, these tech platforms, and, and I have a little insight into this through what we're doing with Rumble and Locals, You, have, there's a lot of stuff that you gotta work on to figure out what are the best ways, again, to protect free speech, have basic protections, make sure that your platforms are not being manipulated by bots and trolls and all of those things. Um, but I would say largely, especially as we roll into this election year, do not think that Facebook is ever going to correct itself do not think that Google is gonna course correct, right? Um, They just are not. We know they're not. Twitter, before Elon was censoring the Hunter Biden laptop story, Twitter has course corrected, right? Twitter is absolutely not perfect for sure, right? And you guys can have whatever criticism you have of Rumble or anything else. Um, So there probably is no perfect system, right? It's tough for imperfect humans to create perfect systems. That's kind of baked into the the whole thing. Um, But don't think for one second that TikTok, is gonna course correct or any of these things. They have tr- made their choice. They they throw some crumbs to the conservatives every now and again. And by the way, you know I've, I've had my frustrations with Vivek, but he made a great point last night when he opened up the debate, basically saying, hey, look how farcical this whole thing is. We're up here with, in essence, Democrat activists, right? We're up here with Democrats basically questioning us. But if it was a Democrat debate, they'd never bring on Fox News guys or Greg Gutfeld to grill them. And that's the same thing with big tech. The the asymmetry of the thing is is really what the problem is. Alvaro says, hey, Dave, why do you say you'll still vote for Trump if he is the nominee? Your coverage of him recently is negative. Wouldn't that be hypocritical? Well, look, you, you, you vote for what you got at the end of the day. And if the choice is, I still do not think Biden will be the nominee, I said it the day he was sworn into office, but if Biden is the nominee, there's no doubt that Trump would be better. It's just, there's just no doubt. Like, if I was just to look at all the things that I care about and everything else, uh, Trump, especially pre-COVID, was doing a lot of the right stuff. The economy was chugging along, a lot of peace deals in the Middle East. Like, yes, the media was apoplectic and all of that stuff. He failed us on COVID, unfortunately, and I think subsequently the way he's run this campaign has not been good, but he would be a far better president than Joe Biden. He obviously, I don't have to say anything about Gavin Newsom, he would be better than Kamala Harris and everything else. The thing is, in politics, you usually don't get that many great people. I think it's the next next real issue we have to think about, if this thing doesn't work out for Desantis, I look. You can say whatever you want about Desantis, and that look when he does these debates, does he ever have the ultimate zinger moment? Is he the most freewheeling stand-up guy up there, like fully in the moment doing his thing? No, he's he's more prepackaged and all that stuff. So he has his limitations. But in terms of policy, in terms of 45-year-old, three kid, good wife, good family, doing the right thing, great track record. It's like I don't know that it's ever going to get better than him, that would be my estimation. Like, I don't mean that in like a worship kind of way. I mean it in here's someone doing what we all ask of our public servants. And Trump has basically tried to annihilate the guy. And when we get on the other side of whatever this election is, you watching this right now, why aren't you in politics? Why am I not in politics? Because who would wanna put them through that thing? Who wants to be just thrown in to the sharks, right? Or the gators, as it were, or whatever. Nobody wants that, and we will ultimately we will just keep getting what we deserve. We'll have worse and worse people who will run. So anyway, yes, I will definitely support Trump if he doesn't. If if it's not DeSantis, the the Democrats have lost the plot altogether. So it just kind of is what it is. Uh, Sarah says, if DeSantis doesn't win the nomination and Trump does, do you think DeSantis could play an important role in helping get Trump elected, and also maybe working with him? Uh, in the administration, if he assuming he wins, look, Desantis. I have no doubt if Trump is the nominee, Desantis will fight for it. Desantis loves this country, and I know he knows that Trump would put it better on track than the Democrats would. It's, it's in essence, it's what I just said right there. The reverse of that though is a little more confusing. If DeSantis got the nomination, I don't know that Trump would push MAGA towards him. I think he would say they stole it from me. First it was the Democrats and it was the machine and now it's DeSantis stealing it from me. And that's been the danger. That's been, you know, I've called it a dark force that Trump has used for quite some time, that's been the danger there. If you knowingly lie about the guy who we all thought was the best governor in America six months ago, like if you took the top 10 most rabid Trump supporters, big account Trump supporters on Twitter that hate DeSantis now, they all loved him six months ago, right? They've all deleted all the tweets, but everyone knew he was the guy. And Trump used a very dark force to basically make a bunch of people who love this guy now hate him. And once you use that dark force, I don't know how you put that back in, right? It's Pandora's box, you've opened up something. How do you then say, oh, you know, the guy who I said was working with Soros, even though Santos is the one guy to fire Soros DAs. The guy who I said is Paul Ryan's friend and loves Karl Rove and all, like all lies. The guy who was bad on COVID, like again, all lies. Like, But you've convinced a lot of people of that. You'd have to have a mea culpa yourself and that that is not really within Trump's skill set, I don't think. But again, we'll, we'll see what happens. Uh, one more for you. Ted says, what inspired you to do the call-in show with community members? Uh, you know, I have wanted to do a call-in show probably, probably before any of these guys even worked for me. I mean, probably like six, seven years. I just always loved old school radio. You know, my first real gig in media, I had a show on Sirius XM radio and we used to take calls live. And you know, we'd get a queue of callers and the, the director or the producer would look through the calls, screen them basically. And you just never know what's gonna happen. And I've always just loved that. So I've wanted to do it for a long time. Uh, David Sachs, who's been on the show a couple times, he created the call-in app, which eventually Rumble purchased and now we are we're reconfiguring to become the Rumble Studio app. And that's what we're running, The so- that's the software that we run it on. So you guys, so we can take your calls. So I was waiting for the last year. I wanted to do it on call-in, but because of locals, I didn't wanna send you guys to a new app. So once we acquired the company, I was like, guys, please make this happen ASAP. And the team is working real hard and we've now integrated it. So Rumble Studio, this is a little under the hood stuff for you is what we're running it on. And it's really, really great. And we're bringing in a whole bunch of new features over the next couple months. So I was waiting sort of for the tech on it. Uh, and then tenant Media came to me and they said basically, hey, we'd like to give you some money to do whatever the hell you wanna do. And I was like, oh, well, I've wanted to do this thing and I need some money to do it. And this all kind of works. And, and it just came out, uh, it came out perfectly. And I've really been loving it. And I'm doing it with Isabel Brown, in case you guys haven't tuned in yet, who I've also wanted to work with for, for quite some time, so it's really been nice so far, and you can watch us in, uh, what, about an hour and seven minutes, uh, right here on my Rumble channel or on the Tenet channels across the interwebs. Uh, My full interview, guys, of uh, former House Speaker, Kevin McCarthy, he was over in London at at ARC. That is up right now, and we've got a post-game show for you at rubenreport.locals.com. I leave you with video of Gay Pete and Mr. Zelensky from Ukraine, I think this might be edited. I don't wanna get us in any sort of trouble. I think there might be a little bit of editing trickery here. Goodbye. Thank you.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much. for having us over. Where's my money? we to see Good so far, very good business.